Welcome to Adam Nation, the podcast that dives into all things self-optimization and self-discovery, helping you be your best inside and out. I'm your host, Steve Katsazi, and today we've got an awesome two-part jam-packed how-to on fat loss, all you got to know about fat loss. Uh, I'm really proud of this episode. It is a revisit of the discussion we had in episodes 13 to 15, but improved, upgraded, and with the latest information that we have available to us. So what do we cover? We cover a lot. And as I say, this is a two-parter. So in part one, we're going to go through the, why are we fat? What's causing us to be obese and overweight? So we talk about the big five issues, which are overfed but malnourished, addiction, mass confusion, bio-individual negligence, and reverting back to normal after dieting. So we're gonna dig into all of those. We then talk about the role of our master hormones, insulin and leptin. Understanding these will really help you understand your body. We dig a little deeper into the addictive-like foodstuffs, and we give you our top four biggies that are driving overconsumption. And then we elaborate on the lies, the lies that we've been told, the top nine lies that have fueled our obesity epidemic. That covers off part one, which is this episode. And in part two, episode 101, well, I just say go listen to it. <laughs> After part one, you're going to be hooked. You're going to want to get into part two, which is all about the principles and strategies, the how-tos of fat loss. And I strongly believe that if you can absorb and fully understand, not just intellectualize, but fully embrace these principles it doesn't matter what diet you go on you're going to be able to guide yourself through weight loss and then successful long-term weight management in essence what part two is going to be about is covering off calories and movement so we're going to get into all of the details around understanding your calorie requirements setting deficits and understanding the dials you've got to move as it relates to calories and moving We then get into macros and nutrition, give you those guiding principles, which are, again, very straightforward when you know them. And then we round off the discussion with a set of fat loss strategies and considerations, such as what kind of deficit should you set? How to maintain a high level of nutrient density whilst cutting the calories? What about fasting and fasting protocols? Let's get into that. Let's get into carb cycling and 5-2. Let's talk about how you're going to be able to eat out regularly, how important sleep is to you, um, how to map out your calories during the day or the week, and most importantly, what does the after-diet life look like? How do you think about the diet after the diet so you don't just rebound? Anyway, let's get into part one. I hope you enjoy the scene set and then flick through to episode 101 to get on with part two. Right, so a lot to unpack. Let's get going straight away. It's myself, Steve Katazi, speaking with Bryn Jenkins, talking about the 101 on losing fat for good. I hope you enjoy. It's been a long time, hasn't it? Yeah, when, when was the last time you had a uh, chat? I actually don't know. It's got to be at least like five weeks ago on the on the podcast itself. Yeah, I think it has. Yeah, I've been getting quite a few guests for us. It's nice. Yeah, you've had a few exciting interviews recently. Yeah, man. I've had some great discussions. Obviously, the, you know, go to adaptnation.io and check out who we've been speaking to. But I've been loving that. 
However, you know, there's there's something special when you get to just kind of loosen up a little bit um, and shoot the shit without interviewing. And that's yeah, what yeah. we do best. So it's good to have you back, Bryn. Cheers, mate. It's good to be back. And we decided instead of trying to find something new and fringe and something we've never spoken about before. I mean, we've done 100 episodes now. Mm. So we are going to hit the same subject once, twice, maybe three times. And fat loss, right? It's a big deal. People want to lose weight generally. uh, And they want the most efficient, easiest, effective, sustainable approach to fat loss. We've spoken about that before earlier. I think it was episode 13 through to 15. It was a three-parter. And I think we've done a really good job. It was back in March 2018. But it's it's a year and a half later. And I think there's some nuance to the discussion. I think we both developed our thoughts a little bit more. Yeah. I thought it'd just be worth just kind of revisiting this, kind of taking a 101 stance again. Yeah. Um, and and just kind of seeing where that flows with the view of, hey, you want to lose some weight. Let's not go overly geek on you. At the same time, let's ensure that you have the science to support the reasons why we say what we say. Exactly. Let's apply some principles and methods to, to um, achieve those principles, right? Yeah. So you up for that? Yeah. Sounds good. Okay. All right. So this is probably going to be a two-parter. We'll see how this runs. Yeah. Uh, but we want to make sure that you guys get enough value from this discussion. So we're not going to, you know, we're not going to shortchange you. So let's let's start at the top, which is something I, I think about quite a lot, which are the bigger issues, the reasons why we find ourselves in a place that we as a species are just struggle and grapple with this this idea of maintaining just a normal weight. And you know what? When you think about it. I know it sounds so normal because it is so common mm-hmm. that most people hold a little bit more weight than they'd like. And without focus, we get fatter. That's generally the rule, right? Without you paying attention to it, unless you're someone who's, you know, an ecto... Endo? Ecto- yeah, ectomorph. Ectomorph, yeah. yeah. <laughs> unless you're an ectomorph by design, like yeah. most people eventually are going to start chucking on a bit of weight, Yeah, you know, through a bit of negligence or it, without yeah. paying attention. But it sounds a bit odd that we as a species do that. Like, mm. left our own devices, we get fat. Mm-hmm. Why? Why does that happen? Because as you look across the animal kingdom, no animal really does that. You know, look at the mammals, for example. Yes, you have bears and stuff that will put on a little bit more weight deliberately in the summer to get them through the winter. But it's a deliberate process. And they're not walking around like, oh my God, that bear is just so fucking fat. <laughs> We don't see that, right? Mm. Yeah, we see some domesticated animals, like cats and dogs get super fat because we're fucking feeding them. Guess what? Yeah, (laughs) we're involved. Um, But just in nature, you don't see fat squirrels. Mm. You don't see, you know, fat sheep. Oh my God, that sheep is just so fat. Yeah, unless they're overfed by us, yeah. So what's going on? So I was thinking about this and I put it down to five things, Bring. Give me me your sense of whether you think this is true or not. First, I think, you know, we live in a, in a society, at least Western cultures, where we are overfed yet malnourished. And nowhere in in the kind of animal kingdom do you find those two things going together. What do I mean? We have inordinate amount of calorie, calories, so we're in a calorie abundance in the choices we have available, cheap calories as well. But we are malnourished in terms of much of those calories that we consume, the just standard stuff that we would get if we don't apply a lot of thought into our food, is deficient in the nutrition our bodies actually need. Mm. And in the absence of nutrition, 
calories don't cut it. Calories provide you the energy source to to store into your battery, i.e. your fat cells for later use. Great. Our body likes storing energy. But energy isn't nutrition. It isn't the building blocks of our organs, our cells, our tissues. They they're not involved in the processes, our metabolic processes for healthy bodily function and brain function. We need good nutrition, micronutrition, fat-soluble vitamins, minerals, Mm. at the right ratios, at right levels, and bioavailable. And we're in a position where we eat a ton of calories that are easy to eat, yet those calories don't provide the relevant nutrition our bodies would expect. And we've got this master hormone, leptin, which is basically a hunger signal, which raises at the point at which our body's like, okay, you don't have enough nutrition. Yeah. Go have some more. I'm going to make you hungry. Mm. This thing never switches off. Mm. And that's where hunger, we see hunger as a, an emptiness signal. Like there's, I'm hungry. I've digested all my food. And actually, like you're saying there, it's actually because of uh, deficiency and cravings. And that's why we'll get those. So when we've, fasted in the past i know you're far you have fasted and you are fasting um and i fasted as well when i start fasting the, the hunger signals aren't coming from the fact that when i food it, it comes from the cravings because that comes initially straight away mm. the first sort of few days and then after that it actually starts to subside and then oh guess what i'm not hungry but i've actually got less in me but it's because that signal now has dulled because it's like okay obviously there's other mechanisms that have kicked in now i'm fasting I don't want to get into that. But what I'm trying to say is that it's not just from not having the food in me, but it's the cravings or the deficiencies. Yeah, it's not and just, that's it's not just volume. Yeah, exactly. We get this idea that it's, you know, it's the, the volume of food yeah. that determines whether I'm hungry or I'm, I'm full. And yeah, if you have lots of volume, eventually, mm. if you have loads of pasta, eventually you're going to get full. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's only so much bread you can have, but hey, you can have a lot of bread. Mm. And guess what? If you really wanted to, you could probably put down two, 3,000 calories of bread <clears throat> if you wanted to. Yeah. It's so easy to do. Eventually you stop. Eventually there's a capacity yeah. limit. But it doesn't mean you're stopping because you've had the right nutrition. Mm-hmm. You're stopping because you've just had so much volume. So equating volume with sufficiency is the wrong way to look at it. And thinking of calories as sufficiency is also missing the bigger picture. The bigger picture is, are you having the right human-appropriate nutrition at the right ratios and bioavailable for your body to be satisfied that it can run its various processes? So that's step, that's number one, which is, I think, too many calories, not enough nutrition. Mm driving our need to always want more because we're being dissatisfied with the foods that we're eating the second thing for me is addiction um i know people you know they'll have debate about this because it doesn't there isn't necessarily a ton of documented clinical trials to say actually there's addictive chemical properties in xyz food and therefore there's no such thing as food addiction. There could be an eating addiction or an eating disorder, but the idea of food addiction doesn't exist. Well, I, I disagree. I disagree. I think there is science to support that. And there are neurotransmitter analysis uh, and general hormone analysis that show the cause and effect of foods mm-hmm. and how what they have on our bodies. But I think we're ultimately becoming a society of carbivores. You know, just mm-hmm. completely... 
obsessed with carbs in our diet. It's, e- it's easy to overconsume on carbs. It it's, is, it's, right? It's a lot easier than... It's hard to eat protein and fats. It's so, a lot easier to go for, for processed foods that are typically more carbohydrate heavy. And without the nutrition as well. Again, this yeah. goes back to the same thing, right? So I think we're carbivores as a result of having so many carbs and being told for so long that carbs should be the the bedrock of our diet, making the majority of our calories. The problem is that we are now glucose dependent. And yes, we need glucose in our body. I'm not suggesting that the glucose isn't a vital energy source, but we we can produce our own glucose and we can manage the demands without having to have 60-70% of our calories coming from carbs. But when you have that many carbs, our blood sugar, and that's the thing that I think you're talking about, the cravings come from blood blood sugar swings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you eat carb-dominant foods and you go and have a meal, you, you're, you spike your blood sugar levels, insulin raises through the roof to try and put that glucose into either the muscle cells, the liver, or worst case, into fat cells for later, later use. And every time you do that, you have a peak, then a trough. And in the trough of blood sugar yeah. is when you get hangry and you yearn for more food, even though it's only been two hours since you had a massive meal. And typically that would be carbohydrates that you crave at that point. Exactly. So it's the car- the Sugary carbs that treat. are driving, driving this. And again, yeah. I'm not trying to be anti-carbs. I'm just saying I think, oh, I know we are carb dominant. We're having mm. too many carbs. I think that's a big part of the addiction story. Um, I'm going to talk about addiction a little bit more in a second, but mm-hmm. let's just hit the other three things I was thinking about. So addiction, I think, is driving our behavior. It's not just you. You're getting hijacked. Third, I think, is mass confusion. I mean, I see it every day. Mm. There's so much debate, either with people in the know or average Joes trying to work shit out. But there is just so much, you know... um, flip-flopping and you know theme of the day type discussion around diet strategies whether it's it's keto or whether it it's the vegan diet or whether it's you know some kind of other crash diet of some sort people want the answer the one generic answer and industry knows that we want this so we just get constantly bombarded with conflicting facts um, and statements about what foods are in and out, good and bad, fat fat loss driving and fat gaining in their mm. nature. And it's just so confusing. The average Joe that does not commit their life to understanding the body, biochemistry, nutrition, and what happens as a result of eating food, if they don't live their life doing that, which why should they? They've got a life to live which isn't food. Mm-hmm. How, do you, how do you understand and decipher the the noise coming at you and i think that's the bigger bigger part of our problem today is people want the, the answer but they have a thousand answers to choose from mm. and they quite often conflict with one another then what do you do if both or three or five different ideas sound plausible but all are pointing the finger at the other saying that's wrong which decision do you make yeah and it ends up becoming just a massive uh, ball of confusion and I find that that's where I personally find when I'm talking to people trying to debunk a lot of these like uh, confusing matters and trying to pick them out and actually 
get them to believe what I'm saying is true because people are going, well, he's pointing his finger at you and you point your finger at him yeah. and, and, and everyone becomes uh, contradictive almost and they're contradicting each other. So it's and hard. you lose you, integrity, don't so you? Because it's like, you, well, someone's got to be lying. Yeah. Brian, is it you? And, and, and you always feel like you're almost on the back foot when you're trying to talk to people and trying to get them on board, especially when you're coming at them with a boring approach that's not sexy. Mm -hmm. That's a lot harder. But I mean, that's... For me, if something's boring and not sexy, it's typically uh, the way to go because mm. these things are usually dressed, right? Yeah, so I, I think the confusion piece is, I think it's a big deal. And hopefully we, we go, we'll go we go some way through the Adaptation show and this podcast to try and like, create some clarity and some yeah. straightforward principles. Um, I also think that we generally, and I'm not trying to point the finger at you, the listener, but I think in general there's a lot of naivety around your individual context. People want the diet or how many calories should I be having? But it's not relevant. Like, I can't give you a calorie number that is relevant to every man on this planet and then another calorie number which is relevant to every woman on this planet. Okay, I might be, you know, within 20-30% of what is right for you, but that 20-30% makes a bloody big difference. Mm you know so people want the straightforward answer and it's actually not that difficult to understand your specific context which is understand what your calorie demand is as an individual and we'll get through that go through that in a little bit but if you can just do that basic the basics which is through some calculation and some trial and error understand what your calorie demand is as an individual your height your weight your muscle weight that how much fat you hold on you your individual metabolism is going to be different from everyone else depending on you know, your thyroid function and all these mm -hmm. other things. Invest in understanding you. <clears throat> because once you understand you, then it doesn't matter what diet you use. We just apply principles of calorie management and you'll lose weight. But for some reason, this really simple principle mm. seems to be ignored. And you'll have a discussion and people get it. Yeah, yeah it makes sense. But Oh, I heard the 16-8 diet's really good. Should I just do that? Well, yeah, fine. Do you know how many calories you should eat? Mm. Well, no, I'll just do 16-8. I'll just skip breakfast, right? Well, yeah, that, that will help. But if you have a massive lunch and a massive dinner, yeah. you're still going to put weight on. So don't blame the diet. Blame your negligence yeah. to understand yourself. Yeah. And I think this is, and, and this is a big conversation, and I know we're going to touch on principles, obviously, in a bit, but this is where we need to have a conversation about principles first and mm. understanding those principles so then we can successfully uh, select the method which to complete that principle, right? Yeah. So if we're talking about calorie deficit, what are your calories? Like, okay, the principle is we need to get you in that calorie deficit, but, but what is that deficit? What does that look like? Okay, now we know what it looks like. Now let's select your methods. Now we can use 5-2 or fasting or we can use um, just lower average calories undulating. So I think we just need to really focus on understanding the principles. That takes away a lot of the confusion. I totally agree, man. Yeah. And the principles aren't actually that complicated. And again, as you say, uh, but hopefully we'll get through to those a little yeah, bit later. Yeah, sure. Okay. And uh, the last thing I was thinking about. So what we've got, we've got overfed but malnourished or addicted to the foods that we eat. We've got all this mass confusion. We don't understand our individual context. And lastly, I think people look at diet as a as a moment in time where I'm going to undergo 
pain, <clears throat> abstinence. Yeah, life is gonna suck. I'm gonna do that for hopefully a short period of time as possible. Then, great, I'm gonna be slimmer, and I can enjoy my life again, just a slimmer version of myself. Yeah, and you absolutely can do the latter. You can absolutely be a slimmer version of yourself and enjoy your life to the fullest. You can. But unless you're willing to accept that losing weight, the start, the starting gun mm-hmm. as you decide to lose weight is not a diet. It's a change in mm-hmm. your lifestyle. And we're going to make some more aggressive changes up front so we can lose the weight quicker. And then we can dial things back up as you get to a weight that you're happy with. But principally, everything's going to stay the same. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I think the final big issue is that, is that we we diet periodically and then revert back to pretty much doing everything that we were doing before. There really hasn't been any change. Mm-hmm. There might be, might be a change for the first week out of the diet and then we loosen up again and we loosen up again. And it's this sense that yeah. loosening up is living. Like if I'm not loosening up, I'm this rigid, fucking cantankerous, you know, always watching my food, unhappy, you know, not having any hedonism in my life. Like, fuck that. I want to enjoy my life. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole point, right? Like, yeah. Yes, it is the whole point. Mm-hmm. But understand the principles of how yeah. to enjoy your life without getting fat again. Yeah. And I think, again, going back to understand those principles, it's so much easier when you understand. And knowing that that part of the the dieting phase is just part of the process it's just part of the process and when you and once you come out of that diet dieting period then we start looking at the more sustainable ongoing approach that you take and then if you want to diet again guess what we can drop back into that diet but also that will not be as painful this time because you understand the principle yeah. you wouldn't have taken 10 steps 10 steps backwards um it would just be the fact that you're just now having to make add a few more restrictions and then we can layer those restrictions off as you come out of that period. Is there anything else to you? Do you think I've encapsulated the, uh, you know, the problem statement or do you see any other big rocks that are? I think one of the, I think like we need to think about dieting and I'll kind of want to highlight one of the words you used is like dialed earlier. You were saying about, we need to, kind of dial in on our nutrition and we need to think of our dieting as a dial as opposed to an on and off switch mm. when we think of it as an on and off switch it's like, okay i'm on my diet and i'll do it until i can't do it anymore until i lose willpower or i can't adhere to this diet and then guess what that switch turns off and then i go back to my normal lifestyle mm. and i think that if we can just have a bit more of a dial approach to it and go you know what Right now, things are good in my life. Like my stress is low, work's not too busy. You know, it's kids are at school. I can turn that dial up and that means I'm going to get into a bit more of an aggressive um, dieting phase in that period. And then guess what? When thing goes to shit and, you know, kids are on school holidays and work stressful, guess what? Just have a bit of a diet break and just turn that dial back down and just slowly come back out of that um, period of dieting. Mm. I think if we have that approach to it... Dimmer switch versus an on-off switch. switch. versus on an off switch. I think that all... um, Psychologically, I think that will just give us a bit more of a break as well not feel like... But to do that, you need to uh, understand the principles. You need to understand understand the principles. Exactly. And I just think having that in the back of your mind when applying these principles, it's just a bit more refreshing. Yeah, no, I, I agree, man. I agree. So I did say that we would um, just touch on the addiction piece a little bit. And I think we should also expose some of the lies 
or misdirection that I think lead us to the, the, the problems of addiction and confusion that we have today. So I'm going to hit them quickly. We actually spoke about some of these in episode 13 to 15. So I'm not going to repeat all the science for the sake of it. Uh, I'm going to touch on some of the concepts though. and mm-hmm. some, I've got a couple of new ones as well. But from an addictive standpoint, what am I talking about? Well, firstly, we're absolutely addicted to sugar and carbs. No question about it. And it's because of blood glucose regulation. When we have, when when our bodies are carb dominant and we are driven through our primary fuel source being carbohydrates to fuel our e- energy, um, that is like a, it's, it's a fast burning energy source. Mm-hmm. It enters our bloodstream quickly and our body is actually toxic to our bloodstream to have glucose running throughout. Hence the reason we have the role of insulin. Insulin takes the glucose and, you know, the nutrition outside of our blood and parks it into the muscles, into the liver. And if those two are full to capacity, the remaining glycogen goes into fat cells Mm -hmm. for storage. Uh, And it's a beautiful system. Our body's designed to do this. You know, I'm not saying carbs are bad universally, but when we have too many carbs, we we basically overburden our bloodstream with a level of glycogen that or glucose um, that it doesn't know what to do with. Mm-hmm. And the only response is, I'm going to lift my insulin levels up to a level that's unprecedented through human evolution. And I'm going to use this hormone to try and shut all that nutrition out of the blood as quickly as possible because left in the blood, it causes havoc. And our bodies have to go, and, and if this is what causes diabetes, it is yeah. the body is doing everything it can. It can take glucose out of the bloodstream and park it into the areas where it can be leveraged later, mm-hmm. muscles, liver, fat. But when we are carb dominant, this quick fire energy dissipates quickly. And when it dissipates, we're left with a need for energy again. Now, we do have the fat within our body, but when our bodies don't typically run on both fat and fat and carbs at the same time. You kind of have to choose. You have to choose a lifestyle. You're going to be a carb-dominant individual, which means that your energy levels are really determined by when you eat because carbs are non-essential. They're not stored primarily. They're stored as glucose and glycogen, uh, whereas fat stored in your adipose tissue is a is a you know short short-chain fatty acids that are used. Um, more slowly and without as much expense to the body. Mm-hmm. So if you are fat adapted, which is you're primarily leveraging fat, both dietary fat and body fat, you can go for long periods of time without needing to eat again. When you're having carbs, uh, sorry, a carb dominant diet, say, I don't know, the, the, the standard recommendation, which is like 60 odd percent of your calories going from carbs, mm-hmm. you're constantly in this undulating peak and trough of blood glucose levels and when they go to their lowest levels they go below the homeostasis below that kind of regular regular line Mm -hmm. you're hungry again so is that addiction i believe it is if you're eating the wrong foods that force you to want to eat again within two hours because you're unable to regulate your blood sugar levels then that for me suggests you're addicted. You're addicted to the need for that energy source but you know what if you wasn't having so many carbs you could eat much less frequently, and you wouldn't be driven by the same hunger levels. So that's the first thing. Sugar, carbs, same thing, right? 
that piece I think is massive and I think it's massive to our metabolic crisis, our metabolic syndromes mm -hmm. and our diabetes and obesity. It's like we've got to get a handle on how many carbs we have. Yep. Secondly is hyper palatable foods. Now, what am I talking about? I'm talking really about processed foods, foods that have been specifically engineered for the for your delight and pleasure, right? So we are going to blend just the perfect amount of sugar with fat, with salt, some starch, maybe a bit of umami free glutamate to give you that perfect blend of satiation. Oh, no, not satiation, um, satisfaction. Just taste amazing. You know, like a Ice cream. Like ice cream. Ice Perfect. cream for me is like mega hyper palatable food that I really struggle to control if it's in my environment simply because of this, the, the design of it. It's yeah. just like I can't control myself. Exactly, because it's got sugar. Yeah. It's got fat. Um, if you've got like salted <laughs> caramel, it's got some salt in there as yeah. well. And then if you have that with some kind of cake, so you've got the starchy element to it as well. Yeah. Like, yeah, there's you can't say no to that yeah. stuff. Right? And look, I, I love... Hyperpalatable foods, I'm not suggesting are really tasty to some people, but I don't find them tasty. No, they universally, they taste good. Yeah. And we've got scientists and engineers that get spending an ordinary amount of money to fine tune the configuration of these various processed foods to make us love them. Yeah. And unfortunately, our body's driven by um, a dopamine pathway, a reward pathway. And we are rewarded intuitively, innately in our body in response to salt, sugar, fat, starch, free glutamate. You get one of those five things, our body's going to send a dopamine signal, which is, hey, like that was good. That yep. was, you know, go again. find that again if you mm -hmm. can, because I like this stuff. It's good for energy levels. It's good for, you know, general health. But that that is in the context of a natural diet, you know, eons of years ago put in the context of our Western hyper-processed diet that we have today, those signals don't work anymore. They get triggered so frequently. And if yeah. you combine one of those salt, sugar, fat together, you get this bomb of delight. Yeah. And I'm not saying you shouldn't enjoy foods that taste amazing. You just need to understand they're designed to make you want to eat more of them and unfortunately not send you any signal that you've actually had enough yeah, nutrition. Beautiful. So yeah. therefore you can eat more and more. Mm -hmm. And they come with usually lots of calories. And that's typically why you'll overeat on hyper palatable foods. You're not getting a signal that you've had enough. Yeah. Pring Pringles, classic. You can go through a whole, whole yeah. tube easy. Mm -hmm. So hyper palatable foods. Second thing. Third thing, and it kind of is connected, is gl gluten and wheat generally. Mm -hmm. Think about, Bryn, like how dominant are, is wheat and gluten in just a standard diet and i know most people think okay we're talking about bread are we talking about pasta yeah we are talking about those two things and bread is everywhere mm -hmm. you know sandwiches on on the lunch run you know breakfast you know cakes you it's know, a culture you, we eat bread for, we have for we lunch, have a lot right? of bread but unfortunately wheat is just everywhere mm -hmm. it's fillers in soups and sauces it's obviously in baked goods it's in pasta, it's in bread, it's in, uh, yeah, if you go to a bakery, everything is made of gluten. Um, it is literally everywhere. Mm -hmm. If you decide to go gluten free, it's actually a ball ache because the middle aisle, the middle aisles of a supermarket are breaded, yeah. are biscuity, are cakey, 
are bready of some sort, or got pasta. Most of them will contain some form of gluten and with names that why not sound like gluten because yeah. industry allowed to use like yeah, 50 yeah. odd names that uh, are derivatives from wheat. And the problem with wheat is that it does the same thing. It's calorific. It's low nutrition. As much as you've been told otherwise, it's very low nutrition. Therefore, it doesn't send you the signal. It has opioid-like properties which effectively connect to the re- uh, some opioid-like receptors in the brain and drive some form of addictive properties yeah. to them. And we know that. Like We know how good it is to have a bit of tiger bread with you know loads of butter on it. And hey, we'll do that as much as it's available. Mm. So I think we just need to understand that we've kind of domesticated wheat. We've layered uh, wheat into every aspect of our nutrition. It is up and down a stack across everything. And as a result, it brings the problems we've spoken about before. Too much sugar, too many carbs, very hyperpalatable, low nutrition and addictive properties. And then the last one, for me, is vanishing caloric density. So this is about things like quavers, watsits, Pringles, things that will easily dissolve in your mouth and give you no sense of nutrition, Mm. but they are high calorie. And we we live in a world where we have lots of foods that are designed specifically for this attribute, engineered to have vanishing caloric density, because you know why? It means you never want to stop. Yeah, and I remember as a kid, Bryn, like you know, we we were quite you know low welfare in terms of the foods that we could afford. My mum would buy loads of crisps, and she'll go to Iceland and buy like you know a thirty pack of watsits, mm-hmm. uh, like Cheetos, I guess they're yeah. a bit like. And mum might be out. I'm hungry. I'll go have one bag. Long story short, I'll probably do six bags. <laughs> Just because yeah. there's no signal to have, say you're done, because yep. there's nothing in there. There's basically air and calories yep. and like shitty cheese flavor. And I'll just go bag after bag after bag. And I could have, I could have done ten, could have done fifteen. But mm-hmm. at some point, I go, Do you know what? This is probably wrong. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And we're dealing with that. There's more and more foods that are designed specifically for this sensation of enjoyment, but with nothing that backs it up. And therefore, your body's like, we'll just keep going, keep going until I've had enough nutrition. Cereals, ice cream, yeah. Ice cream, exactly. Just Very similar. dissolves in your mouth, yeah. And it makes you feel like you're eating less. And this is it. And and these these are not low-calorie foods. They're high-calorie high foods. Very high-calorie foods. Yeah. So that, that's the addictive part, Brent. And then the, the, the final part, and before we kind of like get into more back and forth, was this idea of like uh, mass confusion. Now, mass confusion could be born from just there's lots of information and there's loads of different ways to do it. I think mass confusion is also caused through propaganda, motive, profit, industry. Not all of the motives are designed with your welfare, health, and leanness in mind. Mm -hmm. They're driven by other things, right? Economy, profit, growth, cheapness, feeding the the world, right? These aren't focused on you. They're focused on the bigger picture. So what are they? Firstly, I think we've spoken about it like, We've got this idea. I think there's our dietary recommendations right now, Bryn, are something like we should eat mm. 60% of our food should be carbs and we should have a high fiber diet. I want you to know from this conversation that, that there's no essential carb carbohydrate. There's mm-hmm. none. As you there's essential fats and there are essential proteins. hundred yep. percent. There are no essential <laughs> carbs. And this idea we have to have sixty percent carbs as part of a balanced diet 
that serves the need of feeding people cheaply and giving you what we have and supporting our industries of, you know, basically wheat and mm-hmm. processed food. It does not support health, wellness, and an ease of losing weight. Now, can you lose weight on a high-carb diet? Yes, you can. It's harder, though, because you're, you're being pulled in many different directions because of this kind of blood sugar thing. Second is fat's bad, right? Now, how, how often have we heard, and we continue to hear, albeit me less because I don't, I don't get, I don't succumb to these messages anymore, but mm-hmm. that fat makes you fat. And people will viscerally react to the idea of fat stuff on their plate. Like, shouldn't yeah. eat that, like a fatty cut of meat or like um yeah, you roast beef and there's a bit of roast beef with a bit of extra fat on the on the side or yeah. and people like, oh no, I shouldn't do that. I like, just cut that little bit off. And we've just got this notion of low-fat, low-fat yogurt, low-fat milk, skimmed milk, semi-skimmed milk, um, low-fat biscuits, low-fat everything. It's like low-fat is better. We've been told that since the 70s because we incorrectly hypothesized that um, saturated fat generally causes heart disease. And now we've layered that on and saying, actually, fat makes you fat. Mm. And this is one of the biggest lies for me. This is a absolute lie that was driven by other motives other than your health. And I want you to know that you want you want to embrace fat. Fat, the right sources of animal-based saturated fat are, I think, essential to optimal human health. And we need to move away from this idea that if you want to lose weight, you need to go low fat, stir yeah. fries, like zero fat, this, zero fat, that. I, I, I disagree completely. And I think, I think, I mean, it can be used as a tactic when you understand, again, the principle um, or understanding macronutrients, right? Because, you know, for every gram of protein um, and carbs, there's four calories. Mm-hmm. And then every gram of fat, there's nine calories. So obviously, there's more calorie um, density within fats. There is, yeah. But obviously, when you understand that, you then can respect that and then you can just adjust accordingly. doesn't mean you need to just avoid fat completely because fat's essential. We need it in our diet. But it's just understanding what what fat is and what we need fat for and what the energy um, is within fat. And I think that's just a really important point to kind of... Um, well, there's, there's, there's three out. things. One... Um, saturated fat comes with lots of fat sol- soluble vitamins A, D, and K, mm-hmm. and it's usually yeah. a transport for vitamins into our body. And when we cut fat out, you're cutting out the nutrition. Mm-hmm. Like, number one, absolutely categoric. There's no debate about that. Number two, if you're having a low fat diet, you're having a high carb diet. You you got to yep. eat, right? You can eat something. Yep. If you have a protein-only diet, you'll get rabbit starvation. You can't operate mm-hmm. on protein only only because it's not an energy source. It's a building block for your body. But energy is either is either going to be fat or carbs choose. Mm-hmm. So if you're going low fat, you're going high carb. And we've just said that's probably not a good idea. So, you know, for many reasons, fat should factor appropriately in your diet. Let's talk about the principles, fat not being one of them. Yeah. Um, Wheat is heart healthy. Like, let's just, you know, just move on. Let's just say that 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 is BS. And I think you'll find that more and more cereal products have lost that messaging because it is fallacious. It does outdated. There, yeah. there is no scientific support for how wheat is heart healthy. So I think we just need to 
look at we we not as a sinister product as something that we've just had far too much of and you need to respect that we should be dose dependent on things like that yeah another thing similar is vegetable oils so seed oils you know canola sunflower safflower um soybean oil these oils make up the majority of kind of fat that we use to cook food that comes from processed or even restaurants Mm -hmm. um and unfortunately there there is nothing good with these engineered oils they sound healthy because one they've been marketed as healthy like margarine made from sunflower oil it's really good for you it's better than having butter bullshit it isn't because it's completely engineered we can't get the product that we eat naturally we need to go through a multi-step process of turning black sludge through various refined processes using petrochemicals to turn them into the thing that we can cook our chips Use. in yeah or, or or cook our processed food in all processed food needs some base of oil mm-hmm. and unfortunately the majority of those processed foods are going to be leveraging vegetable oils which are high in omega-6 um they can have trans fat in there which is, is a no-no and they basically create a distribution of bad fat within the body because the body's made up of the all the cells are made up of fat yeah and if you're eating bad fat your body's uh, is being made up of bad fat mm-hmm. and that's no good for your metabolism inflammation yeah no good for wellness no good for inflammation so vegetable oils that, that's a lie breakfast most yeah. important meal of the day that's also i, I just don't that that was born from kellogg's i think you if you if you actually pull that back to the first time you hear those statements of breakfast is the most important meal of the day comes from the cereal industry. Well, it's just something you hear and you just accept. Today you do. It's yeah. like, well, of course it is. Like, don't want to miss breakfast. Got to have my porridge or mm. my Kellogg's or whatever. And I, I want to say that breakfast isn't bad. I just need you to know that it isn't essential mm. because, hey, just pull, you know, pull back a few hundred or a thousand years. Like, you think, you know, our ancestors had breakfast at 7.30 before they got started in the day. They ate when they could. Yeah. And our bodies were perfectly fine with eating when they could. Mm-hmm. So let's pull away from this idea that breakfast is the most important meal of the day. And connected, Bryn, is the idea we've got to have three square meals and snack if you get hungry. This idea that you've got breakfast, have lunch, have dinner, I'll get you through the day. This idea that we can't go any mm-hmm. more than a few hours without food. Otherwise, there's going to be panic and mayhem and you won't feel good and you won't be good that's bullshit mm. you know you know that's bullshit Bryn. and uh i want us to hit that hard in our principles which is there are some cultural societal norms around eating which is like these kind of you know you have a break at work at lunchtime you're gonna eat lunch i get it you're gonna come home at some point you're gonna eat i get it in the morning you might be hungry you eat then we're eat, our habits of eating basically work around the industrial revolution, our, our industry, mm-hmm. our industry norms of when you work and when you don't work, and therefore we eat in between. I want you to know that that's a recent phenomenon and it's been described as normal human behavior. And it isn't. We don't need to eat every day. We don't need to eat three times a day. We don't need to snack in between meals. And that can be very liberating if you understand how to manage your calorie burden without being strongly compelled to eat so often. 
That makes uh, sense. And I think um, if you look at who's pushing it, like you said with the breakfast, that is a Kellogg's thing. So you look at who's pushing the snacks, that'll be the snack businesses that are pushing why well, snacks are healthy. Yeah. Um, so you do, you have to look at who's saying this and actually question if you just hear something um, that you're not just hearing it as if it's an old wives' tale. And it's like, okay, it's, do I actually need to eat three square meals a day? Do I actually need to have breakfast? And when you look into it, you go, actually, no, I don't. Like, there's a lot of health benefit benefits to um, not eating all the time. Yeah, but time also, restricted eating is becoming a, a a new phenomenon where yeah. we're now understanding the wellness benefit of not constantly barraging our body with food. As there's a lot of lot of benefit, yeah. just not always eating. And, and yet we've been told we've got to be eating all the time. So. And that's it. And, and it's freeing to know that you don't always have to be eating. Like you don't have to be relying on food all the time. Um, and then also the other side of things, like not just looking at health, but looking at like calorie control. Obviously, we're going to touch on this in a bit, but it's knowing that you can use this as a tool to your advantage. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and the last couple I had here, were that, you know, this idea that we need a branded diet to lose weight, you know, whether it's a Weight Watchers, whether it's a... Uh, you know, some I've watched like MTV and, you know, especially during the day from working out and MTV's on, yeah. you'll hear, have all these diet plan companies or these shakes and stuff. And it's, I get it. They're trying to make money. People want to lose weight. They're marrying those two things together. But the reality is that we don't need a branded diet. We don't need a shake. We don't need a specific product to lose weight. We want necessary sometimes that very simple specific clearly laid out all the work done for us mm -hmm. diet plan but i need you to know that the principles if you understand the principles yeah. you can apply any of these diets these diets follow principles understand the principles and you don't need to spend money on shakes and stuff like that you can you can go 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 do things a lot easier cheaper more effectively um meat is bad for us no it, <laughs> I think this one is interesting. We're, you know, the beginning of October 2019 and yesterday, I don't know if you saw in the news outlets, there was a relatively big study basically saying they looked at loads of other studies. So they've done some meta-analysis meta yeah. as well as their own study. Um, and these are reputable scientists have said like, there, there really isn't, I mean, people need to hear this. There really isn't any correlation that, is of any significant significance regarding red meat and any ill health, whether it be cancer or other other loose claims that have been stated over the last decade or two. <clears throat> there really is no statistical significance. And it just makes sense. Why should the thing that from a human perspective, from Homo sapiens, the first meal, the first food that we would have eaten and thrived off of would have been meat? Mm -hmm. It would have been large ruminant animals, megafauna, that we would have eaten. And that has really been the food that we've eaten, you know, consistently throughout the millennia. Yet somehow this food, this human-appropriate diet, the thing that has survived and lived with us for the longest period of time that we've been alive as a, as a species, somehow is uniquely bad for us and we have to do everything we can to remove it. I want you to know that meat is actually, I think, an effective part of the strategy of losing weight and managing weight. Because what we're talking about is healthy fats. We're talking about proteins. We're talking about low carb. 
it hits the trifecta of what I think is a species-appropriate blend mm. of nutrition. And hey, we've been eating and hunting, you know, red meat and fish for as long as we've been alive. So that's that. That's and the one of the I think the biggies that unfortunately is being hit with the whole vegan propaganda thing these days, and it's being slammed down people's throat that you know just go meatless Monday, reduce your meat intake. It's going to be better for the planet, better for the animals, and better for you. And I want you to know it's definitely not better for you. Also, it isn't better for the planet. Yeah. And you know, there's more animal death with um, wheat and monoculture production, monocrop production than there is you know um large ruminant animals they're just less deaf i don't want to get into that debate i just wanted to be clear with everyone that meat should you you should not want to remove meat you should not want to remove meat to either lose weight or be healthy if you want to remove meat for any other reason feel free but don't think that as a weight loss strategy if i have less red meat it's going to be good for me i don't think it is and i think the big part of the conversations being missed out is the quality of the meat. Like yeah, a true. lot of these discussions with veganism, we don't talk about, okay, all right, you might have some some health issues because you're eating red meat, but what, what red meat are you eating? Are you eating red meat from McDonald's or are you eating it from your local butchers? Um, mm. And also what are your other lifestyle factors? So I just think there's... It's highly it conflated, than, isn't yeah. it? It's highly conflated. The very last one, before we now pivot towards the principles that we said we would, is this idea that we have to have five to ten, in actual fact, up to ten portions of fruit and vegetables a day. This came from this idea of the Mediterranean diet and some studies that were done in the 60s and 70s and saying we should eat like these people. Um, There's a lot of missteps along the way in reaching these conclusions that we now find ourselves in a position where we're promoting the idea of having up to five to 10 pieces of fruit. Now on the veggie front, hey, do as you wish, but bear in mind that we all are already a plant-based culture. You think about what you eat today, the majority of your food is plant-based. Think about the processed Mm -hmm. foods, think about the cereal bars, think about all the wheat, think about the sandwiches and, you know, the seed oils and the fruit and the vegetables and the chips and the rice like when you layer it all in and the coffee and the chocolate Mm. and the coconut oil like the majority of people's calories today are coming from plant-based nutrition yet we have our problems of obesity and diabetes and other illnesses and cancers you know raging we have to pull back and say if we're following the protocol and yet we're not well and we're fat, maybe the protocol is not completely right. And I'm not trying to I'm not trying to tarnish vegetables, but I think this idea of having five to ten pieces of fruit a day is complete bullshit because what is fruit? Fruit is just a massive sugar dump. Now it's got fiber and it's got some nutrition in there, but it's just a load of sugar. And fruit would have been eaten seasonally at best, depending on your locale, right? depending on what part of the world you live in, fruit would be available. Think about how often, like, how how available are apples during the year in this country? Mm. Or blackberries, right? And blackberries come around, like, you know, for a month, yeah. max. So fruit really was only ever supposed to be available in summer to get a little bit of fat for the winter. And we have it seasonally. We eat it, we're done. 
but we have 24 7 365 availability of every single food that you could ever want shipped all across the world to be available to you at yeah 24 7 basically yeah. and we are leaning too too far into a sugar laden diet and fruit unfortunately only just contributes i'm not saying you shouldn't have fruit again this idea of having five to ten pieces i think is wrong and contributes to our carb dominance and our blood sugar dysregulation and i need to constantly eat hence the reason if you see like people on vegetarian and vegan diets and they have lots of fruit they're always eating mm. always eating yeah because their body's always saying like right your blood sugar just dropped again like we got hit me up yeah. again again yeah. so i know that was quite long-winded brim but I, w- I wanted to get those pieces out because i think they are foundational before we talk about principles like understand why we're here mm-hmm. and understand how you've been misdirected yeah you think i've covered that yeah good day <laughs> yeah yeah okay all right good so we've covered the big issues addictions and lies let's get into let's get into those principles now yeah Yeah, that was good, huh? That was good. Hopefully that scene set really helped whet your appetite and give you some food for thought. Sorry, I couldn't help myself. (laughs) Get yourself over to your podcast app, episode 101. Let's get into the second part of this Losing Fat for Good podcast. I'll see you on the other side. If you enjoy this show, please consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps. And of course, recommend us to any friends or family who you think might enjoy the show. Feel free to get in touch with us via our website, adaptnation.io, or your favorite social media channel. This has been Adapt Nation. Till next time, thanks for listening.